Does your morning look anything like this? I wake up and pull the covers up. I'm not ready to get up. But my arm has a will of its own as it snakes out from under the covers and grabs my phone. I have to see what's happening on the news. After scrolling for a while, I decide there's nothing new. And I finally get up. I stand blank-eyed, looking at my clothes, trying to decide what to wear. I don't know. Nothing seems right. Did I wear that last week? Do I want to be comfortable or not? I haven't got anything new to wear. Nothing as cool as my friend wore yesterday. I get ready. I've settled on what I wore last week. It's still clean at least. And my mind begins to wander over the list of all the things I have to do today. What was that thing I told myself I had to remember? The list is already so long and it's putting lead weight in my shoes. I don't think I can get it all done. I head to the kitchen. Caffeine is an urgent priority. With my phone in hand, I scroll the news some more as the jug boils, and then I switch to my email, checking to see if there are any sale notifications that I don't want to miss, and seeing if anything urgent has come in overnight. Oh yes, there is one email that's going to complicate my plans for the day. Who invented push email anyway? I search the fridge for something healthy to eat because I want to lose weight again and summer is coming. Oh, well, I have to grab what's there. Everyone else has taken the stuff before me. But anything, I'm searching for anything just to get some energy. As I gather my things and rush out the door, I realize I'm already running late. I don't know how there can be people in the world that are mourning people. Why am I not one of them? I wish I didn't have to work today. I wish I could have stayed in bed cozy in my bedsheet cocoon. On one hand, this story sounds harmless, but beneath the surface, something crucial is missing. You see, we live in a winter of discontent. We live in a time of continual dissatisfaction. The problem couldn't be clearer. We don't have enough and we are not enough. As I say that, you might feel a bit upset. How could she say that? I've come to church to hear nice, encouraging things. Well, hopefully you will get some of those things at the end and this message will not leave you wanting. But what I just said, we don't have enough and we are not enough, are thoughts and desires that we've all wrestled with our whole lives, whether we're ready to admit it or not. Look, I'm so excited to share this message today and I've been looking forward to it because I believe the Word of God changes us. But I think this message could be a real key to resolving the restlessness that we feel and finding the peace that we all want. Unfortunately for us all, this winter of discontent, the dissatisfaction of our soul was cemented in the earliest act of humanity in the Garden of Eden. And I want to read to us today this passage of what happened in the garden that's led to this condition. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. 
You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. What a sad situation. The same is true for all of us today. Our world is in an endless pursuit of having more. But what we see from this text is that this desire for more started in the garden right at the very beginning. Humanity wanted the one thing it was told it couldn't have. God gave them every fruit, a garden. In fact, the whole world. He had given them the whole world, but it wasn't enough. They wanted more. You see, the devil came in, that old serpent. He came and he messed with Eve's contentment. He messed with her mind. He stirred up discontent, making her feel unhappy with her current state and situation in life. When discontentment comes, it always destroys peace. What Adam and Eve had in the garden was incredible. I've heard so many people talk longingly of what it would have been like to live in the Garden of Eden and walk with God there. But the devil got in her head and he highlighted that what she didn't have mattered. He made it seem her life was lacking something crucial to her happiness. She was missing out. How could God not give her that tree to eat from? They had all the trees in the garden. They had the whole world, but they didn't have that tree, that fruit. Maybe today we feel that something crucial to our happiness is missing as well. You see, there were two main things that the devil stirred up that day. And they're the two main things that he wants to come to our lives and stir up as well. The first was the desire of the flesh. Gosh, that fruit looked good. It looked tasty. Surely this was a flavor they had to have. Surely this was something that they had to experience. The devil also secondly stirred up pride, a feeling that they needed to be more than who God had made them to be. They needed to be more like God. Eve saw the tree, the tree would give her wisdom and she wanted to have that in her life. They desired, they coveted, they felt unsatisfied and so they reached out for more. Understanding what tempted them is understanding ourselves because we all wrestle with desires and dissatisfaction. It might not be a piece of fruit that is on your desires list, but I'm sure that we all have a list. The material possessions that we want, the status that we want to achieve, the type of life that we want to have, anything that makes us think, my life would be better if, dot, dot, dot. You can fill in the blank. What would your life be better if? this happened. That's how the voice of the devil causes us to feel discontented. You know, pride was the trigger behind Adam and Eve's actions. They were wanting to become like God, but humility is being content with who you are. You know, we already have all we need 
to fulfill God's purpose for us. He's promised us that we have what we need. We might not have what we want to fulfill our purpose and plan for ourselves, but we do for God's purpose for us. If we wrestle with a persistent feeling of failure, of restlessness and dissatisfaction, it may be that the real cause of that feeling is discontent in who we are and in the life that we have. The lie that Adam and Eve were sold and that we get sold too is that we become contented when we fulfill our desires. And this couldn't be further from the truth. Our desires are the internal battle that we have to resolve if we ever want to be content. What would it take for us to feel satisfied, to satisfy our desire? Thomas Aquinas, a saint, read, said he'd studied it religiously. And he said, what would it take for us to feel satisfied? Everything. We can never fulfill our desires. Adam and Eve had everything possible, and yet they still desired more. You see, hell, this is a characteristic of hell. It's described as having an appetite that can never be satisfied. In Proverbs 27, the scripture says, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Our world is in an endless pursuit of more. More and next is the language of our times, a language of discontent, chasing more, seeking more, looking for what's next, pursuing that next thing. Maybe this will keep us satisfied, but chasing after our desires, it won't make us happy. Warren Wearsby wrote this, real contentment must come from within. You and I cannot change or control the world around us, but we can change and control the world within us. Contentment is not found in anything external. It's found on the very inside of who we are. You know, there was a recent movie that I'm sure many of us know and love that came out called The Greatest Showman, and it told the story of the circus legend P.T. Barnum. P.T. was very poor. He was from a poor background, and yet, typical story, he falls in love with a wealthy girl and he wants to give her everything. He wants to give her the world. His desire though, to provide for her, barely concealed the fact that he had his own deep-seated need to be somebody. He wanted to be somebody important, somebody worthy, somebody that people would take notice of. And in his desire to prove himself, to be more, more than the poor son of a tailor, he pursued fame, acceptance, accolades, and wealth. And you know what? While he was doing that, he nearly lost the thing that was most dear to him, his family. But one of the moments in the film that's really startling, and it's just such an incredible moment, is when Jenny Lind sings this haunting song to a packed house. She stands there on the stage. She sings these words. All the shine of a thousand spotlights all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough, never be enough. You know, when that song came out, our family would drive around singing, never enough, never, never. We would sing it at the top of our lungs, although I don't know if we could hit those high notes. 
but I saw many Instagram stories and memes with people doing exactly the same thing. That song struck a chord. For P.T. Barnum, no wealth or fame could ever make him feel like he was enough. And that song was a reflection of what was taking place inside of him. But P.T. had to lose everything to see the lies of that desire, to see the destructiveness of his own ambition. Chasing his desires didn't make him happy. Maybe never enough was the siren song the serpent sang Eve in the garden that day. Maybe it's the subconscious narrative of our lives as well, like we read out at the beginning. Maybe when we next turn on our web browser to look at that sale or that new thing that we want, we should sing never enough to ourselves. Arrest our actions, our web browsing, and ask ourselves the question, why? Why do I need this? What am I hoping it will do for me? John Comer says, desire is infinite. We all live with unfulfilled desires, but this doesn't mean we can't live happy. You can live a rich, satisfying life, whether you are rich or poor, single or married, infertile or counting down the days until your four kids are out of the house, crushing it at your dream job or at a minimum wage job. Right now, you have everything you need to live a happy, content life. You have access to the Father, to His loving attention. So are you? Are you happy and content right now? Or are we playing the enemy's game? Are we feeling the stirring need for more? The restlessness of an endless search for the next thing. We need to go from a never enough life to a forever enough life. The song that we need to sing rather than never enough, never, never, never enough. We need to block the enemy's song from our mind and we need to instead sing Jaira, Jaira. He is forever enough, always enough, more than enough. I will be content in every circumstance. Jaira, you are enough. In our lives, in our circumstances, in our material possessions, he is enough. You know, Rockefeller, who was one of the richest men in America in his time, and actually even since his time, based on the American GDP, he was asked this question, how much is enough? And remember, he had everything. He's asked, how much is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. <laughs> he hit the nail on the head. No matter what we have, we are not content. Even if we have all the wealth in the world, a mansion, a limitless bank account, everything that money could buy and all the admiration of the world, we are not content unless we have settled in our heart that nothing found in this world can satisfy our souls. Contentment is being thankful for what we have and who we are right now, our talents and our limitations. C.S. Lewis said this, you play the hand you're dealt, but I think the game's worthwhile. Play the hand you're dealt. That's accepting what we have right in front of us. 
being willing to go for it with what we have, to engage, to risk, to pursue this game of life right now. Don't wait for a better hand. Don't complain about what you got dealt and certainly never fold. Matthew 5, 5 in the message, Jesus says this, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. I think what Jesus is saying is, can ordinary be enough for us? You don't need more. You don't have to be more. 1 Timothy 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and we certainly can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now that's ordinary. Content with food and clothing? Contentment is being okay with ordinary. Actually being happy about ordinary. What we have to see is ordinary is underrated. Now, Paul the Apostle put it like this, and I have been holding off, dropping the best part till now. Paul wrote this in Philippians 4. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I love this passage because Paul is boasting and he does do that a little bit, I think. But he's boasting not about what he has, but he's boasting about the fact that he is content and he wants everyone to know, I've got this on lock. I've got this sorted. He says, I was never in need. Uh, that sounds like a lie to me. Of course he was in need, but the difference is he didn't feel like he was in need. Paul was always satisfied, even when he shouldn't have been, even when he had very little. He says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. It is something that we have to learn how to be. Contentment is something that we learn. The great enemy of the human soul, discontentment, isn't to drive us, we learn to master it. Contentment is finding our needs met in Christ, our gyra. Paul found contentment because he said, I can do all things through Christ's strength. He wasn't relying on himself. He was relying on Christ. And because he relied on Christ, he had all that he needed. Maybe we have a little, maybe we have a lot. Hopefully none of us are Jenny from the block. But the secret of living is being content with both. Do you have a little? Do you have a lot? Can you just be content with both? See, the truth is that poor people and wealthy people suffer the same struggle with discontentment. It won't go away if we have more. We will never become immune to it. We all need one thing, the same thing. Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can bring that contentment and can satisfy our souls. Paul was content in every circumstance. Paul had the best of times and Paul had the worst of times. Paul is not writing that he has found contentment because he had an easy life 
and all his needs were met. Paul was beaten, jailed, shipwrecked, stoned, hunted, I kind of like that word, imprisoned, suffered, hunger and cold. He didn't have a cushy life in a writing retreat surrounded by birdsong as he wrote these incredible epistles. Oh my gosh, most of them he's writing in a jail cell. He was writing while he was cold. He was writing while he was down and out and persecuted. But in spite of the worst circumstances and having nothing, he was still content. You know, what this means for us is that we don't have to be falsely happy when things are bad or difficult for us. But it, what it means is we can be settled and quiet in our souls because God is in control. In our circumstances today, no matter what they are, we can find contentment. Paul showed us it's possible. It might seem impossible, but it's not. John Piper said, this is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering. More contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. God wants to turn our winter of discontent to glorious summer. Be real today. I want us to just hone in for a minute. Look inside our own soul. What's making us discontented? Could we solve that problem? What could we do differently? Maybe we shouldn't endlessly surf the net for the things that we can't afford. Maybe it's a clearer budget. Maybe it's putting time limits on apps. Maybe it's being mindful of the good experiences that we can find in our ordinary days. Maybe we can give thanks at dinner. No, no, really, give thanks. Maybe we need to have a difficult conversation with ourselves and work out what's the real desire that's driving me. Why am I searching for something more? Why am I needing that? Is it something that I really need or is it based in a desire for people's approval? I'm feeling quite convicted. Recently, I lost my favorite pair of earrings and I turned the place upside down looking for them, but there was no success. And in the end, it was worth lodging an insurance claim for them. A few weeks ago, the claim was approved and a voucher was issued at the jewelry store so I could go in and replace them. Did I just go and replace them? Of course not. I had to shop. I had to weigh up my options and decide, is, is that what I really want? My time was consumed at looking for something more than what I had. And I got quite stressed out about making this decision. Do you know what I ended up buying? Exactly the same type of earrings as I had lost. After wasting so much time looking and comparing and desiring, I could try and convince myself it was harmless and recreation, but the truth was desire had me in its grip. I can't tell you the relief that I felt when I finally purchased the earrings. Staying within the budget, it was a miracle. But why was I relieved? Because I didn't like the restlessness I felt when I wasn't content. When we chase desires, we find that we're restless, anxious, disillusioned, and even angry. We can't rest when we are feeling that way. Finding contentment and learning how to be content, that is how we feel peace. Contentment is thinking differently about who we are, that we are enough because He is enough. When we place our desire on Christ, we find our contentment in Him. 
When I was 17 years old and getting baptized, the scripture that I read out about my life was Philippians 3.8. It says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, it, that scripture was so in tune with how I felt. Nothing in the world could satisfy me once I'd found Christ. Everything else was rubbish compared to Christ. Can we find what Paul found? The place of contentment where he is all we want. Is there anything that can compare in value to Jesus Christ? He is the pearl of great price, the darling of heaven, the bread of life that keeps us satisfied. He is faithful and true. He's an indescribable gift. He's the light of the world. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the hope of all hearts. He's the resurrection and the life. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the treasure of the ages and He is the desire of all the earth. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is enough. He's our portion. He is always enough, forever enough.